what impacts would a digital euro have on banks and the financial system? The European Central Bank is looking into designing a central bank digital euro, which would effectively represent the digitization of cash. Depending on its design, it could have profound consequences on banks and the financial system in general. Hi, I'm Justin Pugsley, editor of Global Risk Regulator. We have run many stories and podcasts about digital currencies and crypto. You can find out more on www.globalriskregulator.com. To discuss the ECB's work and views on the digital euro, I am delighted to welcome Ulrich Binsel, Director General of Market Infrastructure and Payments at the ECB. Okay, well, hi, Ulrich. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, can you start by giving us uh, an update as to where the ECB is at the moment in terms of its work on the digital euro and also provide a timeline on your future work in this area, some of the sort of milestones that you're aiming for? Yeah, Thanks, Justin. Yeah, we are actually in the middle of what we call the investigation phase of a project. Okay. Uh, that's that's a well-defined term in ECB jargon. Investigation phase is the first phase of any big uh, project where you end up specifying exactly the functional requirements of the product, the user requirement. And in the case of digital euro, that means uh, quite a bit, you know, it, it really means what, what do we want exactly yeah. to have as a product. So things like, of course, still philosophically, what objectives do we want to reach more concrete? What use cases do we have? So which type of payments do we want to cover with digital euro? Then what is the role of the central bank, the euro system in the issuance and settlement and what part of it will be done by private market participants. Then also what compensation model for the digital euro will we have? You know, any payment instrument or scheme typically has a compensation model. Yeah. Take the case of, uh, of credit cards as one example. Yeah. There's a merchant fee which is then shared between the various parties which serve uh, the the instrument no so question do we need that for a digital euro how would it look like then also the funding and defunding so how to transfer other forms of central bank money uh, cash into digital euro and how do you tr- transform commercial bank money into it and yeah. uh, vice versa and uh, what else yeah the the distribution in general to the users That's also something. So all those things are covered in the investigation phase. It started in October 21. Now we are in October 22 and we have one more year. So it's a two years phase. And then if uh, the governing council is uh, satisfied with uh, the package it it gets, it uh, can uh, decide to move on into the realization phase, as it is called. And that is really then, you know, the software development, the implementation on our side, but also on the side... Sorry, would that be like the pilot phase? No. Okay. The pilots, that's actually something we are doing now also. Yeah, thanks for mentioning. Okay. Uh, I mean, we have now, the pilots, let me be precise, we now have prototyping. So prototyping is a kind of hands-on development of examples 
of how certain modules uh, could look like, not anticipating the eventual product, but uh, you know, doing hands-on work together with the industry. So we that, that's part of the current phase. Yeah. In the um, in the in the realization phase, I mean, you are seriously just developing what you have decided what you what you want to have. No. Yeah. So you are no longer prototyping. You are really doing the product that you you want to have at the end of the realization phase. And then let me let me finish. Then you have sure. the the decision to issue. Yeah. So the our governing council said explicitly in this case it goes for the project it spends the money for the project but it has not yet decided that the digital euro will be issued yeah that uh, that that is an independent decision you know that could be taken in a few years when it's failed uh, the product is ready and there is a case for issuing right okay okay now Okay, so as, as you just said, there's no, no decision has been made yet about launching a central bank digital euro. Um, and obviously, that I guess that would be ultimately a decision for the member states. However, there are alternatives um, to, to, to a sort of digital euro, such as stable coins, or you could even have the tokenization of bank accounts. So I'd just love to get your thoughts about those alternatives, because, you know, if they're properly regulated, they might actually be easier to pursue than launching, you know, a, a, a brand new form of central bank money. Yeah, I mean, let me come back what you said at the beginning of your question on on the member state. The member states would decide. I think it's um, it's true. You know, the the ECB obviously interacts with the European co-legislator yeah. on question, and uh, there's there's agreement that the the co-legislator will have to legislate. You know, to to clarify the exact legal basis of the digital euro and to yeah. you know points will come back to shortly. Which, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that that will come, but I wouldn't say it's a decision then of the co-legislator to issue. The decision to issue on the legal basis provided by the legislator is for the ECB governing council at the uh, end. Okay, fine. Yeah. Well, well thank but you. Both, thank yeah, you for that clarification. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned stable coins and other that, alternatives. That's right. Yeah, so um, I would say, you know, that the, the, the alternative, the current, ex the existing alternatives anyway, commercial bank money. So there is, you know, there are private payment solutions uh, based on commercial bank money, which cover many use cases. And, and that's, uh, for now, I would say the alternative. And we, we see certain, um, how to say, deficits or deficiencies of uh, the private solutions in Europe. Okay. So one one has been the governing council has been explicit on this, the uh, the sovereignty argument, the strategic sovereignty. Our payment instruments are uh, more and more dominated by also solutions which you know of firms headquartered outside Europe. So okay. in principle, of course, we appreciate those products and the competition they bring. But the uh, the trend, you know, if you extrapolate it, there's a lot of uh, predominance of uh, non-European governed uh, firms at the end, which maybe is too much from this perspective of strategic autonomy. Um, but otherwise, you know, for many use cases, you pay in commercial bank money or in, in instruments which are on top of it. Yeah. And stable coins, you know, stable coins was um, hyped a bit 
maybe because they came in the context of new technology, DLT, etc. But I would say for the for the big majority of use cases of uh, citizens, uh, I would say it's not so much stable coins which are needed to solve problems, yeah. but uh, you know we have a lot of instruments, we have uh, innovations. We would hope, you know, in our retail payment strategy, we we say we hope for a European governed um, instant payment based. POI payment solution, okay, and, and that we continue to encourage. Yeah. Um, but and and stable coins, you know, can maybe play certain functions there twenty four seven. Typically, okay, they may be based on new technology, which may allow for certain applications. But but for me, you know, the stable coin, the DLT technology, which is supposed to make a dif the difference between a stable coin. And a knee money institution, let's say, yeah. is uh, is a bit overrated, if you ask me. Okay. So, yeah, regardless of the existence of stable coins, there there are private solutions, good solutions, innovative solutions, evolving solutions. But yeah. we still have arguments why we believe the digital euro is useful. Okay, so I I, I guess these different solutions still have to kind of prove themselves because we're in, you know it's all very new. Um, okay. Right. Well, um, there has been some discussion, uh, you know, again, among a lot of academics and certain people in the financial sector as well, that a digital euro would help preserve the single currency's role, um, you know, geo geopolitically and even hearts its use globally. Can, can you discuss the ECB's thinking around that, please? Yeah, um, I think it's fair to admit that the digital euro project, as it was now defined, has a primarily a domestic focus. Okay. It doesn't have this ambition, at least not, you know, for the first release. Uh, yeah. Who knows about future releases? But for now, you know, we, when we discuss the use cases, the, the key use cases we want to cover is person-to-person -person payments and... POI payments, uh, so e-commerce and point of sale, so supermarket, let's say, yeah, yeah. Pay, uh, domestically. And, um, and of course, in the long term, there's no doubt that digital central bank money can serve cross-border payments. Um, we would typically say it should be with uh, currency conversion. It should not be maybe global use and holdings of one digital currency because that, that could lead to larger capital flows and dollarization. So okay. my, my intuition would be that what you want to be able to do is like what offers what is offered now by international card schemes, that you can use your digital euro for e-commerce transactions globally. And if you are a traveler ab abroad, that everywhere it is somehow accepted. But then typically with the currency conversion, and uh, and it's something you know we keep in mind, and we are in contact with other central banks to think you know on interoperability and yeah. what can be done. But all this you you see is more you know a collaborative approach to ensure that um, CBDC will be useful for cross border payments. It's not about I would say the ambition that the euro plays a bigger role globally because obviously. Oh, okay. 
digital euro can be used abroad. Probably also foreign foreign CBDCs can be used in Europe. And I guess we want symmetry. We want this to be based on an agreement between central banks. And therefore, I, I wouldn't see it as, you know, being a way of geopolitical, you know, <laughs> expansion of out of reach of the euro and so on. Oh, OK. No, f- fair enough. OK, uh, now... I gather the, 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 the focus is on a sort of retail digital euro. Now, the big, the big concern around that, um, as I'm sure you keep hearing, is that they could disintermediate deposit-taking institutions if they became too popular or people rushed into digital euros, say, because of a banking crisis or something. So can you maybe talk a bit about some of the safeguards that you're looking into to stop those kind of things from happening, please? Yeah, indeed, Justin. And that's also part of the investigation phase. So, you know, there's a thorough analysis of financial stability and monetary policy implications of um, of introducing a digital euro. And I think there's a consensus that you need safeguards um, because, uh, yeah, the digital euro as being risk-free, you could say, yeah. is, of course, a very attractive also store of value. And uh, we don't want it to be a large-scale store of value okay. because we be, uh, the private sector, you know, has a role to play in uh, credit intermediation. We are not in that business primarily, so we don't want to see our balance sheet ballooning and having to hold, you know, billions, trillions and trillions of yep. additional yep. assets and, and to decide in what to invest and so on. So, yes, we should have uh, limits or maybe remuneration-related incentives, okay. like a tiered remuneration that if you have high holdings, you know, beyond a certain threshold, the remuneration is a bit unattractive, yeah, unattractive. And the conclusion in the project so far, I mean, it has to be finally endorsed by our governing council, but is to build in both of those instruments oh, so like a hybrid. into the telescope, yeah. So not to decide now, you know, how we have a limit of 3,000 euro per citizen, yeah. but to build it with the functionality, the ability to put limits and the ability to put tiered remuneration so that future policymakers, once they issue a digital euro, can uh, choose which of those tools to activate and where to set the parameters, yeah. And, you know, it could it could depend on the interest rate level, if, if we have in, um, say, five-year times or whatever, when a digital euro will be issued, if we have then an interest rate level short-term interest rate of zero, yeah. it's something different than it, if it's 5%. If it's 5%, you could say you just uh, don't remunerate digital euro and then you have uh, incentives, sufficient incentives against large holdings. But if the, the short-term risk-free rate is at zero, then you need a limit or or even, you know, for high holdings, negative remuneration, you need some tools. So therefore, future policymakers should decide this. And now our job is only to put it into the scope of the functional requirements. So, I mean, would you see these... um, It sounds to me like the remuneration side would be partly market-driven, market-based, but you then got the caps on holdings. I mean, would you envisage that being a sort of hard cap or one that would evolve with you know, de- supply and demand of, of digital euros to maybe you want to incentivize people more to be in commercial bank accounts, for example? 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't see it as a kind of dynamic policy tool. Okay. I think everybody, as I understand, agrees that digital euro and remuneration or limits are not monetary policy instruments. That if uh, if we put limits or disincentives for high holdings through remuneration, it is only to protect um, financial stability and to protect monetary policy. Yeah. You know, I, I give you a trivial example. When we had the deposit facility rate at minus 50 basis points, you cannot offer unlimited digital euro at 0% remuneration because it would act like a deposit facility. And, you know, market rates cannot be then at minus 50 if everybody could put unlimited amounts at zero, no? Yeah. So, um, and so it is, a, it is not to have a new instrument of monetary policy, but it is to have an instrument to not have digital euro undermine monetary policy and financial stability. No, no, absolutely. Okay, um, we mentioned uh, just just on that point of the the cap, as you you just suggested, it could be at three thousand euros per person. Um, yeah, a lot of other I think a lot of other ECB members have suggested the same. However, um, a lot of experts say this would make it potentially useless to businesses and capital market players um, who could, you know, probably massively benefit from a digital euro in terms of reducing frictions, costs, and would help them spur innovation as well. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that they, they could be the biggest beneficiaries, actually, from a digital euro. Yeah, I mean, indeed, the digital euro project, as it is now set and the use the use cases that were identified are really for a retail digital euro retail yeah. in the narrow sense and uh, because you know there's retail there's wholesale wholesale is often used as covering um, interbank payments no and wholesale cbdc we have because banks have digital accounts with the central bank but in between is indeed all the corporates, the corporate payments. Yeah. And here we would say it's not, um, it's not a primary, primary focus. And corporates probably will not have the ability to have uh, high holdings. I mean, intraday, they should be able to process large amounts of payments. Yeah. But my sense would be they, they cannot sit on a big stock uh, structurally. They can have big flows and we should provide the elasticity of the specification so that they can have those big flows. But at the end, they should uh, transfer holdings again into commercial bank money. And uh, and you could say, yeah, but that is not then um, maximizing the usefulness of the digital euro. Yes, uh, maybe, but uh, we have to start somewhere. And uh, and the focus is now on on citizens on the, on retail in the narrow sense. Okay. And of course, future will tell if there is a, a broadening. You know, even the project as it is now is uh, is an ambitious one, because uh, yeah, point point of sale e-commerce, you know, making those payments convenient and competitive in digital euro is a big uh, endeavor. You know, if you scratch the surface. There are so many questions you need to specify, and we should not overestimate ourselves to be able in one go yeah. to solve all payment issues of the world. It's a, it's a complex industry, and we have to start somewhere. I mean, 
I mean, what we're basically just been talking about is a wholesale CBDC versus a retail CBDC. Now, everyone I've talked to thinks a wholesale CBDC would be easier to do. Um, it would also have a lot of benefits. There'd be less financial stability risks. Can you maybe just briefly talk about why you went for the more difficult, challenging retail model as opposed to the, um, the maybe the easier wholesale one? Yeah, I mean, we are we are annoying a bit, I think, the, <laughs> the by, by saying, by always repeating, wholesale CBDC exists, you know. Okay. It's uh, electronic balances with the central bank. You know, M0, the, the monetary aggregate M0, yeah. consists so far of banknotes in circulation and deposits of banks with the central bank. And they can transfer this electronically. We have uh, so we have an RTGS system. We have even T2S, which allows DVP settlement of securities and central bank money. So that is central bank digital currency for wholesale. Okay. It exists, and and those people who who talk about wholesale CBDC, what they mean, but in my view, they they abuse the terminology. They mean um, something new in terms of technology. So that you would put that somehow on a DAT, on yeah, a blockchain, yeah. and that this would allow things like 24-7, or it would allow atomic settlements against digital tokens of assets and so on. And uh, and fair enough, but, but this is not, you know, about introducing wholesale CBDC. It's just about a new technology. Okay. And, um, and you know, I have no doubt that it would be possible, but many of the problems that uh, the promoters of wholesale CBDC um, see, you know, to be addressed by this, uh, you know, you can also address them in a central ledger, like uh, 24-7. You know, we have 24-7 settlement in central bank money in a central ledger with tips, for yeah. example. And you could, in theory, you know, you could use tips for wholesale payments. So just to say, you know, what what they claim is partially things you can develop in a central ledger in the existing you know standard form of uh, central bank digital money and uh, and therefore but we are open of course and we we currently have uh, actually a work uh, a work stream and we reached out to the market to understand what the exact uh, unique value proposition of DLT in wholesale yeah. CBDC could be and and you know we collected input we tried to make up our mind and we will see if uh, if we can you know think about adding this somehow to the current systems but we are not very far in concluding okay well, well thank thanks for that explanation that, that's actually very useful i think a lot of our listeners would appreciate that so okay so let's move on to a, a basically quite different area now uh the one of privacy obviously people in europe really value that um, I, th I think they would want to be able to use their digital euros without them, that all their transactions being tracked by the authorities. Uh, now, obviously, these transactions can never be completely private because they've been noticed on ledgers to avoid fraud and double counting. So what measures are you exploring that would give the digital euro that desired privacy whilst also discouraging its use for things you know, criminal activities such as money laundering. I mean, how 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 would you sort of find that that balance, basically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I mean, the, I, I see two issues. One is uh, really from our perspective, the integrity of our issuance. So as you say, you need, um, you need, you know, a sort of ledger in one technology or another where the holdings are, you know, recorded and settled. Yeah. So that, that's a basic need, you know, for the safety, the integrity of your issue of a digital euro. So that's one requirement. And, and for the rest, I would say the euro system is not interested, of course, in, in data and is willing to do whatever is possible to um, maximize privacy. But you also mentioned indeed the, the constraint coming from uh, the fight against illicit payments, money laundering, yeah. terrorist financing. And there I would say it's not for us as a central bank to say, um, let's have the digital euro be exempted or be exempted up to a certain sure. amount. This is for the legislator. You know, we, we are central bankers. We are not um, the ones who will decide for society about where to choose a point in the trade-off between fighting illicit payment and, and privacy. So we are in touch with the commission who kick, kicks off the legislative process and ask the question to the commission, do okay. you want that digital euro maybe has a, um, an enhanced privacy for low value payments? All right. And, you know, then I would say the ball is in their camp to, to say if they want to make that part of their legislative proposal on digital euro. And we have to tell them, of course, what is technically feasible, but we should not tell them what, what choice society should make in yeah. this trade-off. No, no, that, that, that's understood. Okay, Ulrich. Um, now, I've had some discussions with, with ac academics and they seem to feel there could be an issue with making the digital euro uh, legal tender as the, you know, as the original treaties and text concerning the, the, the euro concerned physical, was written for physical banknotes. Um, so what is your viewpoint on that? I mean, is this something the ECB is looking into or, or maybe you already have some potential legal solutions to this? Yeah. Yeah, as you say, it's a, it's a legal question. I mean, of course, it's also, a, if you want to call it this way, a business question because a legal tender status, of course, supports the use, um, makes it really a standard. Yeah, um, it's very important. Instrument, yeah. So it supports the, the, the success, you know, the, how to say, the, uh, the penetration of... Uh, the market with the digital euro and aligns expectations and so on. So it is a powerful tool. And then is it legally possible? Uh, yes, I would say it's a matter of legislation. And you say that indeed um, the original text refers to physical banknotes, but you know you can explicitly also legislate in the appropriate um, legislation procedure to okay. expand that to digital euro. And uh, so our lawyers believe this, this is a choice that the legislator can, can make. Okay. And uh, again, we are in touch with the commission on this uh, topic and they are working on this and uh, we will see, you know, their, their proposal if and, and how they will uh, propose that. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I mean, you may know that the, um, the 
implementation of legal tender status for banknotes in the euro area is anyway not very, how to say, uh, um, homogeneous, no? Because you have in quite some countries, you have the interpretation that you can waive the legal tender status contractually. So you put a piece of paper into the entrance door yeah. where you say, I don't accept cash as a merchant. And then if you enter the shop, you know, you have waived your right of legal tender contractually. So this is how it is interpreted in some countries. And uh, I understand the commission at the occasion now of discussing um, legal tender status for digital euro also revisits a bit this implementation because if you if you would introduce it for digital euro you would like to have it you know homogeneously applied yeah. but then you may also want it uh, to be homogeneous for banknotes so my understanding is the commission is looking into this yeah. and uh, yeah hopefully they find a good solution yeah okay yeah indeed okay um okay this is another another area maybe um sort, sort of a more very practical area, I guess. Uh, now, you know, most people out there, most citizens that, you know, think of the money in their bank accounts as already being the digitization of cash. Uh, so this whole discussion to them is probably rather obscure and academic um, about, you know, CBDCs, uh, central bank digital currencies. Therefore, you know, if it was introduced, how would you educate people about why they should consider using digital euros when, you know, they already have all the convenience of bank accounts, payment solutions and so on at hand? Yeah, I mean, I, I would uh, exactly reverse the point and say, because we are moving to a digital age okay. where maybe all payments one day will be digital, therefore the role of central bank money for, for, for non-banks, you know, that we had in the past, should be there in the future if we don't have central bank money any longer um, then you enter a different world somehow i mean the current monetary system is based on the coexistence and if you want commercial bank money is to exaggerate study but it's nothing else than a promise to convert a claim yeah. into central bank money no so what what does it mean in the future digital age if the central bank would as the only player decide, I want to stick forever with 17th century technology because some people tell me that for central banks, banknotes is a normal technology. I mean, that wouldn't make sense. So exactly because we enter digital age and the coexistence of central bank and private money makes sense, that's why we also want to move and not stick to this very strange idea, no, to not uh, move with technology and and you can translate this in concrete benefits like um, for example one fundamental problem with payments is it's a network good no yeah. it's easily dominated by very few players who then have a market power and the ability to abuse this market power and the existence of an offer you know designed a payment instrument designed for citizens not operated on a profit maximizing basis you know, this competition for private providers is uh, in the interest of society because you can fall back on it. And also, again, you know, it, it is uh, the anchor of the monetary system yeah. because everything remains convertible into central bank money in a concrete uh, way and not only in a very theoretical way. Yes, it's kind of like the 
updating of cash for the for, for, for the digital age. And it also sounds like what you're saying is that a digital euro could be a way of, you know, keeping payment services, particularly at the retail level, keeping them competitive, um, you know, making sure banks offer competitive products so, you know, people don't get overcharged so much, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, right. Well, um, maybe, maybe our last topic then. Um, now, programmability has been put to me by a number of people is the potential killer application uh, for a central bank digital currency. What are your thoughts about adding that functionality to the digital euro? Yeah, I think this this term is used in a very confusing manner often. Okay. But what is a what is programmability? So some people use it for programmability of money, others for programmability of payments, and you know, of money is something typically you know which we would say doesn't fit with central money, because um, you know if it links you know certain um, constraints or automatism to certain, how to say, units or tokens of money, then the fungibility of money is no longer given. Yeah. So we want that every unit is equal, and therefore you should not attach certain things to units of money, at least not uh, to our central bank money. Yeah, yeah. But what you, what you should have is programmability of payments in the sense that, in principle, any machine any algorithm, any condition should be able to trigger a payment uh, via an API, let's say, um, an application programming interface. And that's a bit, you know, in the, uh, my thinking about it, uh, let me say, is it's similar to the PSD2 idea, know that you allow um, external providers upon agreement of an account holder to access uh, the account and to also trigger payments. And and there's nothing, you know, from our perspective, speaking against a machine then triggering the payment and the machine, you know, taking any functionality, you know, if it's raining and if the temperature is above 30 degrees, then make this payment. Everything is is possible there. Uh, We would be completely open, open to this. And then we have to see, you know, how it works. And and let me remark, you know, that those people who say, well, we have to do that, look at, you know, what exists currently in Europe. The PSD2 idea it's a, was is a very good idea, but it is still, you know, struggling with implementation. Mm, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and also in Germany, you know, I hear that it's, it's a legal issue that uh, machines are not allowed to trigger payments because only humans, according to the legal framework, apparently, <laughs> can trigger payments. So just to say, there are lots of other conditions to make this type of approach uh, effective. And it could, you know, have been deployed massively already today with commercial bank money. And if it is not, then my sense is there are other constraints or maybe a relatively limited use case. So you see, I'm, I'm not in a, I'm not such a strong believer yet in uh, in very fancy um, applications for payments like Internet of Things and so on. Again, we are, of course, open to them. And, uh, you know, future will tell. And the digital euro will not, uh, you know, the, having the digital euro is a sign that we want to move uh, with technology. Yeah. But we have to start somewhere. And the use cases we want to cover in the first go are ambitious. 
and uh, and programmability beyond this maybe open access to accounts uh, in the side of PSD2 beyond that maybe it's not at the very center of our first release of digital euro so i i maybe that whole pro programmability area maybe simpler to leave that maybe to stable coins and that you know we're operating in very specific niches such as supply chains you know making those work or machine to machine payments yeah i think we are fine that the private sector um is uh, at the forefront of innovation yeah and if this becomes a big use case, then I would I would see no reason that we don't follow and offer it. Oh, right. But we, we are not an we are not an IT startup, which <laughs> no. of, of our of, of the ambitious use cases we want to cover. We are the ones, you know, who will find the solution how to make this type of technology useful if it's not yet deployed at all, you know, in practice. Yeah. So far, stable coins mainly serve. Um, the interfacing of the you know crypto asset yeah. universe with the rest of the of the monetary system so it's a niche use i mean doesn't mean that it wouldn't change in the future yeah. but uh, but let's observe it and and then let's see how how we could react here and to conclude i'd like to thank ulrich for sharing some very interesting and valuable insights about the possibility of introducing a digital euro. If you're interested in these kind of topics, please visit www.globalriskregulator.com. And if you'd like to hear future podcasts from us, you can subscribe via ACAST, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And finally, I'd like to wish everyone listening to stay safe and well. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.